welcome back or to Pondering AI. My name is Kimberly Nevela. I'm a strategic advisor at SAST and your host this season as we contemplate the imperative for responsible AI. Each episode will be joined by an expert to explore a different aspect of the ongoing quest to ensure artificial intelligence is deployed safely, fairly, and justly now and in the future. Today, we welcome Bina Amanoff. Bina is the executive director of the Global Deloitte AI Institute and leads Deloitte's trustworthy AI practice. She is a seasoned executive. She's got global experience leading AI and digital transformation programs and has also served as a board member and advisor for numerous tech startups. Last but certainly not least, Bina is also the founder of the nonprofit Humans for AI. Thank you for joining us today, Bina. Kim, thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes, absolutely. You have a really, or have had a really expansive career. What have been the most important or influential inflection points for you on route to your current position and founding Humans for AI? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot on, you know, how did you plan for your career? How did you get to where you are? And I'm like, I don't think I ever planned for my career per se, right? Right. The way it evolved, you know, I've always been anchored in data right out of college. I was a SQL developer for SQL Server. And, you know, it was at that time when it was more transactional databases. And then came the era of business intelligence and data warehousing. And there was a big shift at that point from a data perspective. And I got very actively involved in that. I set up a BI team, the first BI team at E-Trade. And I saw some of the challenges, both from a cultural perspective and also from a technology use perspective, right? I bring that up because, you know, now that same anchored on data, but we've moved into the era of machine learning and AI when big data became real, right? And we see the same questions coming on about how will this technology be used? Will it uh, displace work? Will it replace transactional systems, right? So having grown through this data journey, I've seen those different inflection points. And I think I was very fortunate that I chose data as an anchor to uh, base my career on. The other thing that I'll add, Kim, is also the fact that even though I've anchored in data throughout my career, I have explored different domains and different industries. And it was more of the need to understand, the curiosity to understand what's happening in the separate industries. So if you've seen my career path, you'll see I've worked in the financial services and banks and trading and industrial and manufacturing and field services, hardware technology. What was the curiosity to learn more about another industry, but anchored in data is what led me on this career journey, which has been a a mosaic of experiences, right? So did your thirst for diverse experiences and knowledge also play a role in the founding of Humans for AI? You know, I've always been an advocate for getting more women into tech, women into STEM. You know, as I grew in my career, I started noticing there were lesser and lesser women at the table. And once AI started becoming real, data science and machine learning teams were being set up. I I have personally set up a number of data science teams, and I realized that there was a very homogenous group. And it was also during this phase of everybody was trying to hire PhDs in machine learning and AI. 
And what I realized is that as you're building AI products or solutions, it's not just the data scientist skill set that you need. You need software engineers who understand AI. You still need product managers. You still need QA. You still need designers, right? You need that all these skill sets. So it came from this uh, frustration of not seeing enough diversity in AI. And my also my worry that unlike other technologies, I feel AI is one where you truly need diversity of thought, right, as part of the AI process. And since there was a lack of diversity, the intent of Humans for AI is to really drive basic AI fluency with a view to getting more uh, product managers, more QA, more designers surround the homogenous group of data scientists with diversity of thought. And diversity of thought for me includes gender, race, geographical background, cultural background, educational background. The more diversity we bring into building AI, the better and the more robust those AI products are going to be. So that's the intent for Humans for AI, to drive more AI literacy, to enable more diversity and inclusion in AI. Yeah, I think that's so important. And we had the opportunity to speak with Tess Posner, who is the CEO of AI for All, and she talked about her work in that same area. And we talk a lot about the technology ecosystem for AI, yeah. but you're also underscoring the importance of attention to and deliberate cultivation of the human ecosystem around AI and that network of voices and people and the importance of just creativity and imagination. Mm -hmm. Has that been an aspect of AI that's really changed or, or that conversation's changed over the last maybe three to five years? And are there other areas that are also, yeah. you know, really coming to the fore? Yeah, it definitely has changed. You know, ethics is a broad terminology. And uh, I definitely think even compared to five years ago, right, uh, ethics was more of an afterthought. And, you know, we were beginning to hear some uh, rumbles around, you know, what are the ethical implications of this technology? But it was more uh, focused on clickbait headlines, right? How do you, uh, you know, make this into a big deal so that you can drive that fear which drives to more clicks? So it was more of that stage. But what I'm seeing that has evolved is ethics and uh, the different aspects of ethics is coming early and early in the conversation as companies are beginning to look at using AI broadly across their organization, which makes me very, you know, very happy and I'm very optimistic uh, about it. It also, you know, uh, drives the need uh, for operationalizing AI ethics. It's one of those complicated uh, and nuanced uh, subjects because ethics is not going to mean the same thing for different companies uh, or even within a company for different use cases. So being able to think about the nuances um, is super important. And I do think that those conversations that are happening, which is driving more awareness, which will then drive to best practices and policies and regulations, which will really help us build those guardrails to help innovate faster with AI. So maybe I can give you an example or a view of how I think about ethics, uh, just, just to level set. Yeah, I think that'd be helpful. So having, you know, I've totally dated myself. So, you know, having lived through this time, right? When I studied AI, it was very much in theory, right? Um, this was in the late 80s, early 90s. And when I was studying, there was no easy access to massive compute, right? It was not generally available. And there was not massive amounts of data available. So what we were doing is more of theory. 
And for me to see it becoming real now, I, I can clearly see three streams, right? The first stream is really the core technology, right? Whether it's the next wave of quantum computer, the next wave of neural network, neuromorphic computing, all this core research on developing the technology is happening. And that's the first stream, which is primarily happening in research groups and academia. Then there is a second stream, which is really about the applications of these technology. While the technology is still being developed, we are applying it in the real world for solving real world problems because that technology is so powerful, right? We have not fully thought through it, right? So this one is accelerating as well, the second stream. And then there's a third one, which is the impacts of that technology beyond value creation. In the second stream, we primarily focus on what value can AI bring to us? How can my data drive more insights to drive more business value, right? The third stream is everything beyond the business value. What are the health implications of using this technology? What are the risks associated with using this technology from a brand, from a legal perspective? What policies exist in this space? So everything that is beyond value creation, that is the third stream, which is also still evolving because as you can see, everything is still evolving. So think about you're trying to put in speeding limits while the car engine is still being developed and we are also driving that car forward slowly, right? So for me, I think we live at this great point where we are seeing all of these big forces happening and it's an opportunity for us to shape and influence it and tie it back to the diversity challenge, right? We've always had a problem around not having enough women in tech. But here we have an opportunity, right, to get more diversity into technology because these new roles are getting created. So can we proactively train more diverse humans to take on these new jobs that AI is creating? Yeah, I think that's so important. And there's just this ongoing thread in the conversations we've had to date and I expect to have in the future about diversity inclusion being really fundamental to how we do this. Mm -hmm. So we obviously come from maybe it's not obvious, uh, from technology backgrounds. And certainly the tech industry in general has been, and this seems again in the you know the, the clickbait headlines, accused of techno-solutionism, even in the context of AI is going to solve all of our problems and we should basically apply AI or AI solutions at yeah. everything we can. I, I wonder, are we in danger of being over-reliant on technology to inform us, identify or correct for some of these issues? What's the right balance there? What's your perspective and experience? Yeah, so my experience has been that, especially as a technology company, you know, you are kind of providing the foundation, right? To uh, which will be leveraged, you know, by across different industries and you, uh, you pretty much don't have that control beyond it. So how do you put that guardrails within the technology or a disclaimer, so to speak, so that you are providing the education on you know all the different aspects maybe you've tested this technology on so that if there is a new use case that's going to use the same technology, they know it hasn't been fully vetted out for this. I'll give you an example, uh, Kim, to make it a little bit more <laughs> real, right? So this one was uh, you know working at a jet engine manufacturer and we were looking at uh, jet engine data so that we could proactively predict when an engine might fail so and then proactively send the service engineer to fix it so that there is no unplanned downtime and flight delays, 
right? Very simple value prop. <laughs> um, but as we started doing data discovery, we started noticing that you could actually see how the pilot was flying the plane. Or, you know, was he or she hitting something too hard, which was causing engine corrosion, leading to, you know, more frequent engine failures. So we could actually see pilot behavior, which was not our original intent. And, you know, the, the company wanted to use that to actually impact that pilot's performance evaluation because he or she was not following the training, right? So when you go through this data discovery phase, you discover things which may not be what you were actually looking for, right? And to wrap this one up, you know, we went to FAA, uh, the Flight and Aviation Authority, to see, you know, whether there were any guidelines, and obviously there was none. So, you know, what ended up was we didn't share that data because looking at that data, we, that was not the original intent, but what the airline ended up doing was providing better training. They, you know, they actually made it more gamified so that they improved their training to make this be better as opposed to, so you respect the privacy, you respect uh, you know, not sharing that level of data. And, but at the same time, there was real world impact which hopefully drove better behavior. So thinking through it as the team goes through data discovery, as they find these nuances, you know, at this point, you know, as technologists, it's, I think it's on all of us to think through the ways this could go wrong and proactively ask those questions, right? To make sure that you are putting in those guardrails. Yeah, I, I'm laughing to myself here because as you were talking and what was going through my head and I both hope and don't hope anyone from my insurance company is listening. And I was thinking, this is why I don't do that sort of good driver widget in my car, because I'm an excellent driver, but they may not always agree. So the, this idea that, yes, you're going to save me some money, but you may also uh, make some decisions or look at things in a way that I think just might be a little bit of an overreach or, or very, very invasive. Yeah. So variation on that that theme that I think is interesting and going back to something you said before, which is we have a lot of focus when we're having these discussions on bias and fairness, which are absolutely critical and should be front and center, but they don't always apply. But there are other ways in which these solutions could, you know, it's not even necessarily go, you know, evilly awry, but result in an outcomes you didn't intend or undermine human agency. And there's a, you know, this very simple example out there where we're using machine learning to try to optimize for inventory on a shelf. So it might be in a grocery store where things that haven't been selling, how long do you keep them? Do you discount them? Do you throw it out? Yeah. And how do we sort of optimize that, that whole process? And it seems like a great system, except if the store manager's incentives are aligned with just selling, right, based on, on actual revenue, regardless of how heavily discounted, and you're giving them a suggestion that says you need to throw stuff out, which, by the way, is going to, mm -hmm. you know, contradict what we're trying to incense you on or your human objective, we've now got an interesting problem. So this, you know, need to think about alignment between the system objectives mm -hmm. and human incentives or to align how things work in the real world with how yeah. we are modeling that in the digital world. Are there examples of, of things like that or other considerations that we need to be focusing on in addition to these probably more yeah. highly publicized aspects? Yes, absolutely. I think that that's a great example, right? And it, it's forcing all of us to think through how uh, our technologies as a broader impact, right? 
So going back to your insurance example, Kim, you know, uh, what struck me was that you are empowered, you are educated enough to realize that data might be misused. But there are millions of people in the world who use the same technology, but they just don't have that basic technology literacy to even ask that question, right? And um, yeah, it's always fascinating for me to see, you know, how how much of a divide technology causes sometimes. And it's just basic lack of literacy. Like, uh, you know, my mom, she would never ask that question. She just, you know, it won't even cross her mind, right? Uh, because, or, you know, for that matter, my teenagers, they would happily share all the data that they're asked for because then, you know, their music system is giving recommending the right songs for them, right? So, you know, irrespective of, uh, you know, whether it's a music company or it is a, a insurance company, they have to think through of, you know, how do you actually show the value and proactively put in the guardrails to say, hey, you know, we're not going to share your data beyond this, right? This is the only purpose that we would be using this data for. So it, it, one of the principles that I have in there is privacy. And the question comes up, why do you have privacy in an AI uh, ethics principle? You know, the privacy just for data and its uh, primary usage in the past, that has evolved. Right now, we use that same data to train models. And as you go through the data discovery, to my prior example, you're going to find correlations that you're not anticipated. So are you going to share that with your customer that we are going to use your not only for this ranking, but we're going to use this data to you know, build out your digital twin and use it for marketing? So, you know, I think one of the key aspects we need to think about from every dimension that we might have used in the past from a data perspective, whether it's privacy or security or robustness, you have to apply the AI lens or any emerging technology that's coming up, right? Apply that AI lens to see how is AI now changing the dimensions of privacy, and how do we reevaluate our processes around it? How do we reevaluate our communication around it? And making sure that you bring all your users up to speed on the, the implications so that they can actually have a valid voice, right? Rather than being caught up in headlines. Yeah, and there's been this ongoing conversation about, as you really illustrated so well here, that in a lot of cases, we haven't thought about how we might put the data and information to use at the time we're asking people to gather that yeah. information. And so there's this very interesting loop or process we have to think about where justifiably just asking for these broad, we're going to use your data for anything we can think of sort of statements, I think, are going to go you know, the, the way of the dinosaur, I hope. But there is this interesting conundrum. And, and the other thing that I've personally been pondering is... In the past, the data that we're talking about securing or keeping private is, is very discreet. It might be my shopping history and things like that. But with AI, the data that we have to think about keeping private is the data and the information that's derived from that. And that information is equally, if not more, interesting and telling, I think, from a personal perspective or even from a societal perspective. Today, I'm not sure that we think about not just the explicit you know, data pieces, but the insights that we're deriving as also requiring privacy and security. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right, Kim. And I'm smiling because, you know, look, back in the early 2000s, we were using data, business intelligence and data warehouse. We were using data 
discrete data to do personalized marketing. We use data not only that potential uh, leads or prospects gave on our own website, but we were able to buy external data sets, merge it together, and then build a better customer profile to do more personalized marketing, right? This was happening 20, 21 years ago, right? Uh, but what that has done now, that same process has now scaled to an extent that you can get all kinds of variety of data. That was more of the era of where you got very structured data sets, right? That you could merge. Now you can get all kinds of data about a, an individual. And how do you make sure that your clients, you, the, you know, your customers are fully aware you know, they might be just giving you a name and address, but you're merging it with all these external data sets that that is actually helping build a profit profile. So how do you actually educate your customers that this is all the ways it could actually drive the data usage? Um, I think the companies of the future, the companies that will succeed and continue to earn trust uh, of their customers will be the ones who are more transparent who educate their customers and who bring the customers along their journey and not do things in the background without fully informing the customer, right? Do you agree that that's where we are headed? I do. I think people are really oddly willing to share their information and have it used if they're told that it's being used and that you're operating in a transparent way. And I think that's even true if they said, we're not exactly sure exactly how we're going to use this, but... We think it could be done in these ways and, and for this purpose. And so what establishing that quid pro quo yeah. in a way that is good for your consumer or your user or those you serve in addition to you. And I, I think that younger generations, while they are eye-openingly or eye-wateringly willing to <laughs> have all their information out there, right? So sometimes I do wonder yep. to date myself, you know, I learned to program in Fortran. So um, <laughs> if... You know, this idea that all the information about us is used to sometimes wean people out of things. So we might look at, hey, you know, your yeah. social life and the things that you said when you were young and maybe just less aware and or more uninhibited will, you know, come to haunt you in the future when you look for a job. Maybe in the future, we're going to look for people who don't have those things and wonder if they're actually human, you know? So yeah. there's a, you know, there's a perspective of the way that we grew up and think about some of this information might be different. Mm -hmm. There's that old adage that change is the only constant. And I think AI systems really model that adage, no, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended. Um, so how can organizations manage that and confront that sort of inherent uncertainty? And I think in 2018, you wrote this article, and I loved the premise of it, and it was titled Educating Against Good Intention. How has sort of awareness of the need progressed, and is our ability to execute against that keeping up? Yes, uh, that's a great question, because, you know, I think we went from uh, murmurs about ethics, uh, you know, five, six years ago to a lot of noise, right, yeah. uh, in the in this space, because, uh, you know, the headlines still continue to get created. And then there is a lot of additional voices that are adding to the noise without really focusing on the solution, right? 
you know, I think the way to solve through this is through the human ecosystem that you're mentioning, bringing in that diversity of thought, mm -hmm. because AI ethics is one of those topics where it's not just about the technology. It's also about, you know, the legal implications. It's also about the human aspect, the, the health implications of using these technology. So what we are seeing is really companies being proactively thinking about it. I mean, you know, I have seen two, two different scenarios. One is companies that are very early in their journey, they are thinking about what are the ethical implications that I should be thinking about and what guardrails do I put in place today so that the, my team can run faster and innovate faster, right? Now, they have the luxury because they're early in the journey. The companies that are later in the journey and have, you know, been dabbling with AI or have AI solutions in their production systems are now really taking a step back and saying, how do we proactively think about ethical implications of the technology that we are using, both technology that might have been built in-house, but technology that might have been brought, right? So we are seeing a lot of movement in terms of defining what are the ethical principles for my organization? What are the ethical principles for the, this project that we are working on? And how do we track it? How do we train our people? So, you know, Kim, one, one uh, you know, aspect that I've seen that evolving is really this nuanced discussions on how do you make it real? And from my experience, what, what has worked is it's beyond technology and just putting guardrails. You have to you know, train your entire workforce on what does technology ethics mean so that the, the accountant in your finance department, if they're using an AI software, can still raise a flag if something is appearing to be a risk or is raising an ethical concern. So training and driving a cultural change because as a technologist, I know we get really focused on the value creation that technology can drive. But early and early on, the uh, conversation is now around what are all the ways this could go wrong and how do I prevent it with the work that I'm doing? So I kind of push our engineering teams to really think through, OK, great. These are all the positive things. This is how it's going to create business value. Now let's take the time and think about what are the ways this could go wrong? You know, if we, uh, the project team is the best team to define that, right? Because they know what they're building. So how do they actually proactively think, what are the ways this could go wrong and how do we prevent, how do we mitigate and how do we make a decision around it, right? How do we make sure that the systems we build are trustworthy and that we put in all the guardrails ahead of time? So definitely a lot of movement. I, I think I still think it's still early days because there is no one defined playbook. Uh, the regulators and policymakers are still catching up on it. So, you know, and then there is the academia and research groups that's continuously putting out new research in the space. So how do you connect it across all these dimensions and make it real in the enterprise is, is uh, you know, those conversations are happening. And uh, I think we, we will get through this. I'm, I'm very hopeful we will get through this, you know, before we talk next, Kim. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm, I'm excited that uh, we have the opportunity to talk again. So um, you mentioned organizations putting AI principles in place. And certainly there are a lot of frameworks out there in academia and public partnerships and uh, profit and nonprofit organizations. Yeah. Is that the right first step for organizations? And then... In terms of those guardrails you were talking about, are there actual 
practices or processes that people yeah. can start to put in place today to really translate that from principle to practice? Because I think it's fairly easy to some extent to agree to the principles, but how do we actually create the space and the safety, but also yeah. the rigor to stop and ask those questions or to do those checks along the way? Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great question. And speaking of frameworks, you know, I have put out a framework as well <laughs> called Trustworthy AI Framework. And if you think about it, it is very broad and all-encompassing. Uh, the challenge that I've seen in the past is really when we speak about ethics, it tends to go very quickly and very rapidly down the path of fairness and bias, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense. And I think that is a real you know, ethical issue we need to deal with. But it may not be relevant for all use cases, right? Having worked in a manufacturing company, for example, right? If I'm trying to um, uh, automate, predict when a machine might fail on the factory floor, fairness and bias don't play as much uh, significant. Uh, in fact, th there is no significance there as much as you know the robustness and the reliability, the security of the algorithm. So I think uh, you know the frameworks are a good starting point to think through what, what is important, which part of this is important for how I'm using this technology within my company. So the, you know that's what helps you define the principles, right? You agree upon it. So for a factory floor, it might be that they don't take fairness and bias is not important for predicting factory floor machine failure, but it is super important if you are a retailer. So defining those principles, having that conversation with key stakeholders is that first step. And once you agree on the principles, the next step is now, how do you operationalize it as you rightfully asked, right? And we look at it across the three dimensions of technology, process, and people. And uh, people is really, you know, empowering, you, you know, the stakeholders have agreed on the principle, but how do you communicate it to the entire workforce? Because even if they're not building AI solutions, they're probably using it. Right. So how do you create that space where you can raise a concern if you think a particular software that you're using is is not you know, behaving in an ethical manner? Uh, how do you put in controls in place so that there is process checks that can be added? And all, Kim, I speak about it in general because it has to be at that level because you have to think about it from an organization within the organization what processes are there that need to be changed where you are proactively bringing up the ethical conversation at the beginning of the project it might be on you know a question what are all the ways this could go wrong right but as you roll it out and you know it's scaled out you still need to continuously keep evolving and see you know, have the ethical implications changed? Has is the model still behaving? The other aspect is the regulations because regulations are still evolving, right? So you might have a model in production which you might now have to reevaluate from the new regulations that have come up. If you are working with a vendor, right, and this could be happening anywhere in your organization, you know, how do you make sure the software that you're buying is aligned on the same ethical principles? Right. And making sure that, you know, you check for those. Um, so that is the people and process part, having the controls across or throughout all your processes where AI might be used. And the technology is really where I'm seeing the most traction in the market in terms of solving for it. Because, uh, you know, there are a number of startups, but there are also companies who have moved ahead in being able to assess ethical implications once you define the principles. How do you assess your existing AI to make sure it aligns from a technology perspective? 
and then provide those the code that you can modify or inject into your existing solution to make it to align with the principles. Uh, I see a lot of traction happening in the technology side. I see movement on the people and the learning and development side. I think you know the process side, because it is so nuanced and specific to an organization, is still very individual company basis. There's also, you know, you, you're seeing newer roles evolving, right? Whether it is hiring AI ethicists or getting a chief AI ethics officer or having AI ethics advisory teams. There are different models on, you know, who will own this going forward. I think that that's evolving as well. Yeah, you know, we often say that you, you need to measure what matters and what matters is what you measure. And you've recently been talking about the need to then think about incorporating things like sustainability and ethics as core business metrics, as things that yeah. how we value companies. Why is that important? And how does that integrate with the evolution of AI in your mind? So a couple of things. Uh, one is, I think uh, for a lo very long time, we've measured companies based on pure numbers and metrics and balance sheets. And, um, you know, but uh, to your point, the younger generation that's coming up is digital native, right? Uh, my kids are fully aware of, you know, all the ways they can use technology and uh they may not be as uh, worried about sharing their data, but they are. They worry about the planet. They worry about climate change. They worry about sustainability. They so the our user demographics are changing, right? And I think uh, for companies to thrive, they have to think about all these dimensions. That's important for this changing user base. And we are going to see, you know, whether it's uh, uh, ethics balance sheets or sustainability balance sheets, those metrics are going to evolve and companies are going to get tracked and measured on that. Otherwise, you're going to see user base drop. We, we already started seeing some examples of it, uh, but I think the next uh, generation of users is uh, going to be more savvy at least that's my hope and you know they will they will be looking for these additional dimensions which uh, which are going to enable them to trust a brand brand seven as brand association for some of these softer dimensions which move beyond just profitability is definitely something that we'll see happening and we are going to see uh, companies evolve to be able to accommodate that yeah that'll be an interesting evolution to watch it's an important one and just such a new thought in a lot of ways, although I think we've had things like ESG initiatives. I don't know that they've yeah. transcended to uh, balance sheets and, and all of those things. So as we wrap up here, there's so many things that I've got going through my <laughs> mind I could be asking and pursuing with you. Um, what are you most excited about uh, as we look to the immediate future in AI uh, either broadly or in relation to the ethical yeah. integration uh, with AI? I am most excited uh, from an AI perspective, you know, to really solve for ethics and operationalize it in the real world and to get more diversity and inclusion in the process of AI, right? Um, because I think for AI to reach its true potential, true full potential, it needs to work for all humans, not just the tech savvy, not just the tech literate, but for all humans to be empowered to ask those questions. I'm also excited about one other thing, not directly tied to AI, but with AI and ethics, we are playing catch up. But you know, what does ethics mean for all these new technologies that's coming at us? What does ethics mean for quantum? What does ethics mean for VR and AR? What does ethics mean for uh, blockchain? And the reason I bring it up is, 
you know, as, you know, virtual reality or augmented reality become more real in the world, you know, there is an opportunity for us to, you know, stop playing catch up and proactively think about it and say, you know, is fairness and bias going to be relevant for virtual reality? When you are projecting an image, you know, is it going to appear differently based on the color of your skin, for example, right? So I think, you know, I'm very excited about for us to also think about the ethical implications of emerging technologies and for a change, be ahead of the game. We might have just found the topic of our next conversation. So this is a win-win all around. Bina, thank you so much for sharing your just diverse uh, perspectives on the state of play in AI and ethics today. I've really enjoyed uh, this chat. Kim, thank you so much for having me. I, I know, you know, we could have a long conversation around this. I'm happy we started this. Absolutely. Thanks again. Next episode, we will be learning from Temo Rus. Temo is an accomplished academic, researcher, and applied AI practitioner whose team at the University of Helsinki develops new machine learning methods for areas from cancer epidemiology to digital humanities. His free Elements of AI course was rated as the world's best computer science MOOC, that's Massive Open Online Course, on Class Central. Make sure you don't miss him by subscribing now to Pondering AI.